forget Randy. Uh, we're going to show a little video here that'll tie in to the sermon, and you'll see why shortly. But uh, we're going to show a video from Olivia Peterson. If you remember Olivia, she was an intern here during right when COVID hit. Uh, Olivia's had a really neat opportunity, which I'm going to let her explain to you. And she asked, hey, can I, can I get you to announce this for me? And I said, better yet, you send us a video. And as long as I didn't screw up anything like I thought I did, uh, Olivia's going to come on the screen. She's going to tell you about this. She's going to ask for prayer. And if you, feel finan- uh, if you feel led by the Lord to financially help her in this, please feel free to do that. If you need her contact info, you can ask uh, myself or, or if you're on Facebook, you can send her a message there. So when that video is over, okay, kids, this is on you now. When that video is over, then it's time for you guys to head upstairs. Okay, so let's do this. Good morning, Banff Park Church. Olivia Peterson here. If you don't remember me, I was an intern back in 2020 at Banff Park Church. I worked alongside Greg and Shayla with the young adults building relationships there, as well as kids ministry and the Lunch to Go program that was launched at the beginning of the pandemic for a local outreach. Um, It's been a while since I've seen a lot of you and heard from a lot of you so i just wanted to hop on here and give you guys an update as well as a big thank you Uh, a lot of you invested into me um, in some pretty incredible ways and so it's influenced the way i lead and have served um, to today so thank you so so much for that Um, i miss you guys tons and i'm thinking about you tons uh, and praying for you guys lots so i just want to give you a little update on what i'm doing and the future and what that holds for me. So I am currently a caregiver for social services part-time. So I work in a kids group home, which has been a really cool opportunity to uh, work alongside some of these kids and social workers and just strike conversation of who God is. Um, God's definitely been working in that. And I've been able to actually take a lot of my kids to church on Sundays and get them plugged in youth groups and Yeah, it's just been really cool to watch how God's moving in that and how he's using me. I also work for Katepo Lake Camp full-time right now as spring staff and waterfront director. So I'm able to be preparing for the summer this year and getting ready with that. As well as I am also teaching first aid for social services and the staff that are working in those ministries. um, Just learning basic first aid and being able to educate in that area which has been super duper fun i'm also a full-time student as lots of you know i'm working towards getting into nursing to do nursing full-time in a missions capacity so i just completed my certificate for foundations of nursing and that's been really cool and i absolutely love being a student so it's been pretty fun to be at the university and kind of getting things back to normal so i'm super excited to announced that with that, I'm going to be going back to YWAM. So in 2019, I did YWAM Brisbane in Australia, and it was a six-month course where I did a discipleship training school, and I got to do some missions and work on building my relationship with Christ and just digging deeper uh, to who God is and what that relationship looks like with me uh, and Him. So with that, I'm going back to YWAM and doing a YWAM Switzerland, but this time it is a Bible core course. So I'll be spending three months in a few locations, uh, just digging deeper into God's word. Um, I'll be able to get to go to Turkey and Greece and Israel and just spend some 
time in the scriptures um, and learning a lot of the context. So this is super exciting for me because I, I truly do think God is preparing me to do uh, missions full time. And I think that this is a pretty vital uh, part for that of just learning how to properly preach God's word, um, leading Bible studies and just learning the context of scripture. So I'm really, really excited to be able to do this. So I am hoping to do that this fall. And so I'm inviting you guys into that. So I have a few asks from you guys. Number one being prayer. Prayer is the biggest one that I can ask for um, as God's preparing me to read through the entire Bible in a very, very short time. Um, just prayer that I can be fully invested in that as well as that I'm allowing God to work in the ways that he wants to. Um, and through the others that I'm doing this school with will be super, um, just a really cool opportunity uh, just to prepare me for missions full time. The second way is financially. Unfortunately, these things cost money. And <laughs> as a full time student, that's a bit of a challenge. So, and you guys have probably seen the gas prices. Uh, I'm sorry, I've heard it's worse in Alberta than it is in Saskatchewan. <laughs> um, so with that, I'm asking you to partner alongside me if you feel led to support me financially, uh, just to cover, help cover flights and costs of visas and accommodation and all the things that come with it. So the school does have a fee. So I'm fundraising and working towards getting to that goal so that I can attend the school this fall. Um, if you have questions, please, please, please reach out to me. Uh, Greg has my contact information. Call me. I would love to hear from you guys and just hear where you're at and how God's moving um, and how I can be praying for you. Um, so yeah, if you feel led to support me in prayer, please text me or financially also please text me. Uh, would love to hear from you guys and answer any questions that you have. So know that I'm praying for you. I love you all and I I'm working on figuring out to come to Bant Park Church to see you all again soon um, to be able to hear about what's going on over there and how I can be supporting you guys. So let me know your thoughts and let's catch up. So hope you all have a great week and love you tons. Oh, you did it. See, if I put the onus on that, I can't even forget. You know, it's pretty neat uh, to think. When Olivia got here, she had about one month of normal internship before uh, COVID hit, and everything kind of went south, and, and she really did a, a fantastic job adapting her entire job description that we had given her. And, and while she wasn't here all that long, it was very impacting to her. And, uh, and actually just last week, or this last weekend at Phil and Jenna's wedding, I met uh, Trevor Federson, who I've heard lots about. And, and in my mind, he had been here for a long time, just because of how much it had meant to him and what I've heard from him. And if I understand, he was only here for a year. Is that correct? He was here a long time, so I misunderstood that. Ignore that. Trevor, if you're watching, I apologize. Definitely misunderstood that. Either way, some of those people that have come through and have gone, there's, there's just a big piece of Banff Park Church that stays with them, and that's very cool. If you want to open to Matthew 28, uh, it's going to take us a while before we get there, but that's going to be our main text this morning. I am excited to see you all. We have not been this full since pre-COVID, and so it's wonderful to have 
so many people back uh, and worshiping together and studying together. What an honor it is. We started a few weeks ago a, a series moving through our ecclesiology, and if you don't know what that means, all that is is really the study of the church. What is the church for? Why does it exist? And then we've been asking some questions about the specifics of why we do certain things in church, uh, and we want to address those from a very biblical concept. As I was preparing for this, this uh, series the thing that stuck out to me more than anything was it was after two and a half years of, at least in this part of the world, for predominantly online ministry, online church, online Bible studies, all of those things, I started to realize that my own mindset, and I think most of ours, though we probably didn't realize, it started to shift about what does it mean to attend church? What does it mean to worship together? What does it mean to study scripture together? And, and as Becca mentioned in the video, some of this technology is excellent. And it's been really helpful to help us connect in, in unique ways. But technology was never meant to replace gathering together. And, and I, I can speak for Jordan, who was leading worship. It is very boring and disappointing and discouraging when there's four people. And then when there's this many people and you hear the saints lifting up their voices and praising God, there is nothing like it. And so that is... We are called to be together. And so, so we started this series with this intent of how has our mindset shifted, maybe without even realizing it, and then let's dive into Scripture to see what is the church and why should we do all these things that we do. So the first week, we looked at the question generically, what is church? And so I've been using a definition from a pastor and writer named Mark Dever, who writes this. A local church is a body of people that are marked out by the fruit of God's spirit as holy and loving. So we fleshed that statement out, and basically the idea here is we're meant to be God's hands and feet, <clears throat> growing in our Christ-likeness together as we seek to bring God, glory and honor to God by how we live and how we act. That's the simplest way to say that, though it's very complex in as far as recognizing how do we actually do those things and so then we began to ask why questions. The first question was, why together? Why do we gather together? Why Do we think that that's scriptural? And, and so I'm not going to hash this or open this up again, uh, rehash it, because you can go online and check this out, one of the beautiful things about technology. But we came to the conclusion that scripturally, not only are we supposed to gather together, but it's commanded that we gather together, worship together, pray together, and study scripture together. Being in small groups is excellent. Being in Bible studies with, with three or four, five, ten other people, that's wonderful, but that's not sufficient. It's not the full picture of what God has for us. And so again, feel free to look at that week on why together to see kind of the scriptural emphasis on that. And then two weeks ago, we asked the question, why serve? We walked through the scriptures here to figure out how do we move from a consumer mindset, which again is very cultural, right? Everything exists for me. Everything exists so that my life is easier and more simple. But the biblical view is not serving or not being served, but serve. Jesus said it well when he said what? I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Jesus washed the disciples' feet, the, the thing that the servant of the house should do, and he said, basically, he said, I'm not above this, and nor are you. You wash one another's feet. 
We are called to serve one another. We looked at what that means practically within the church. We looked at how we have been given spiritual gifts, and we're going to talk about that a little bit more this morning, and how those gifts are literally given to you by the Spirit for the edification of the body. So very simply, what does that mean? Is if you're not serving where God has called you to serve, the rest of the body is not functioning the way that it should. Not to pick on Sarah, but I saw Sarah come in this morning, and she broke her knee. I expected more sadness. Sorry, Sarah. <laughs> That's better. Thank you. And as Sarah was coming in, just kind of looking and, and, and seeing and recognizing, like, that breaks all the The rest of the body is under all kinds of strain. And the same is true scripturally. Whatever gift you've been given, if you're not serving the local body, then the local body is having to work more in ways that they're not gifted, and it becomes more difficult and more stressful, and we're actually robbing one another of the joy of serving in the ways that we are supposed to. So again, we looked at this is a command from the Lord. This is not, you should, you know, attend church, and you should get involved. This is God's picture of the church. This is what we're here for. Now this morning, we answer a different question, and I realized, I told a bunch of people this question, and I realized that it wasn't quite clear enough. Maybe that's a good thing, because that'll cause us to think, but the question this time is, why go? Why go? Well, we're not talking why go to church, because we already talked about why together. This is Matthew Matthew 28, 19, and 20, the Great Commission, go into the world. We're going to look at that, why go? Why should we actively participate in evangelism? Why should we go and make disciples? Now, again, the first answer is going to be obvious. What is it? Because Jesus told us to. But we're going to flesh that out far more. So if you open to Matthew 28, we're going to read uh, verses 16 to 20. But I just want to remind, because we have a lot of visitors here this morning. So I'm not speaking only to those from Banff Park Church. So if you are here and Banff Park Church is your home, then great, consider it in that context. But if you're visiting us this morning, wherever you come from, the local church that you belong to, is this is true of you in that context in the same way. And so if I use words about Banff for Canmore, the Bow Valley in general, uh, I'm going to try not to do that. But if that comes into my mind and I say it, then you think in your context, wherever you live, and then the state or the province or the country or wherever it is and and allow that to broaden in your current context. So here's what it says. This is Matthew 28, starting in verse 16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus says to us, go. We're going to open that a little bit more, but I just want to deal with something in verse 17, because this always bothered me. Um, I remember being at Bible college, kind of asking some of these questions, and, and Probably I didn't ask clearly enough, or I just didn't listen to the answer enough. I mean, 19 to 21 years old, probably didn't, it's probably my fault. But when we see here, they saw him and they worshiped, but some doubted. That always bothered me. How could the 11 disciples that have seen everything that they've seen, especially in the last very short period of time, how could they doubt? 
Well, there's a couple of different, actually there's three predominant interpretations here. I think the first two are very convincing and, and plausible and maybe even probable. But I think when we, I think three is right and I'll explain why in a moment. The first is this. Uh, there are several commentators that argue quite convincingly that there were more than only 11 disciples that were there at this point in time. And that the 11 weren't the ones that doubted, but others who came along and, and had seen that. Now, if you look through the historical context and you read some, some other uh, writings that kind of talk about this time frame, it's very possible, but it's just not written in the text. So to create a theology based on that, I think is a little bit dangerous. The second thing is the proper translation of the word doubt, and some argue that it should be used as hesitated. Not that they doubted, but that they saw and they hesitated for an, any number of reasons. They couldn't believe what they saw, and so they didn't know how to deal with that. I think both of those have some merit to them, but I simply think that the problem here is the human heart and nothing else. If you remember the story of Peter seeing Jesus walk on the water, what did he ask Jesus to do? Anybody? Nobody remembers? People are nodding, but they don't want to say anything. Okay, that's okay. Uh, Peter says, if it's you, call me to come out and walk on the water. And so Jesus says, all right. That's my paraphrase, sorry. Jesus says, yes, you're right, come. And so Peter steps out and he walks on the water. And then what does it say? He begins to doubt. He sees the wind and the waves. He begins to doubt, and he starts to sink. Jesus grabs a hold of him and says, you have little faith. If there's anyone, like this situation in Matthew 28 notwithstanding, but if there's anyone who had the moment of going, there's no need to doubt, he actually stepped foot on the water. Any of us ever done that? If you have, you're probably lying. But Peter walks on the water, and yet in the midst of that has doubt. Jesus is standing on the water. Where does that doubt come from? I think it's just a reality of our human hearts. And so I think when it says the 11 are there and some doubted, is it's just that simple realization. And it, doesn't, it shouldn't cause us any angst about this passage or any confusion. It should just highlight to us how fickle we are as people. Now put this in your own context. How many times have we seen God do amazing, wonderful, faithful things, and then yet the next crisis comes along, we forget all of those things in a flash? We go, God, what are you doing? How could you allow this to happen? What's going on? And, and I feel like God's just looking at us going, the same thing he said to the disciples, you of little faith, why do you doubt? God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so I don't think that that verse there should cause us any bit of angst. I don't think we need to overanalyze the situation, but simply to go, even in the midst of everything they saw, they were still human in their hearts. And they struggled. So Jesus comes to them and he says this. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. We sometimes skip that when we talk about the Great Commission. Like we're, talk, we're told to go and make disciples, but Jesus first tells them, through my death and my resurrection now, all authority in heaven and on earth is mine and because all of it belongs to Jesus, he's now sending us out. We're going to look at Acts in just a minute to remind us that God isn't sending us out to a mission we can't possibly do. He's saying, all authority has been given to me, and I'm going to send you out. And in Acts, I'm going to give you the Spirit to accomplish what I'm sending you to go do. 
So what does he say? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to observe all that I've commanded, and I'm with you always to the end of the age. Sometimes we wonder, what's God's purpose for my life? You don't have to wonder. Scripture tells you very plainly. This great commission is given to every person who calls himself a follower of Jesus. To every person who has said, I will put my trust in you and I will follow you with my heart. This is your commission. Now, how you do that, that's a different question. And we just last Saturday had a fantastic time coming together, some of us talking about how do we use our vocation intentionally for the gospel. What was crazy is one of our members wasn't able to come to that. But yesterday, I was outside cutting some grass because Ernie missed that. Oh, he went upstairs, didn't he? Didn't even get that. I was cutting some grass for Ernie, and, uh, and somebody pulled into the parking lot, and, and they came up to me, and they said, you know that whole using your vocation for Jesus? And I was like, yeah. He's like, I did that yesterday. And he had had an opportunity to sit down with a couple and share his story, his testimony with them and invite them into church. And what could have been just this easy, like, oh, hi, how are you doing? Where are you from? Okay, see you later. He went, I'm going to be intentional in this moment. Through his work, that brought that to him. I think sometimes we look at it with there's, there's those in ministry and those are not in ministry. And I would argue there's only some of us in ministry who are lucky enough that we get paid for it. The rest of you have to do it without getting paid. Sorry about that. But you're called to go and make disciples of all nations. We're not going to talk about baptism this morning because next week we're going to ask why baptism and why communion? Why these two ordinances? Why do we do those things? So we're going to kind of ignore that this morning, but stay tuned next week. So we're called to make disciples and teach them to obey everything that Jesus commanded. First objection that usually gets brought into this is, well, that statement was only made to 11, to specifically the 11 apostles here. I really think those kind of arguments are based in a simple lack of reading of Scripture, of overanalyzing and trying to make it so contextual that it doesn't apply to us. If the 11 disciples were the only one given this great commission, what would have happened? Well, you and I wouldn't be here today, that's for certain. Because after that next generation passed away, there would be no one left. Or, or maybe think of it this way, is if that was only given to 11, why did the Apostle Paul give his life, literally his life, to plant churches all through the known world at that time if he believed that only the 11 were going to do that? They'll go and do it, I, I don't have to. Actually, the rest of the New Testament, Paul's letters are all about the opposite of that, aren't they? Here's how we honor Christ. Here's how we live. Here's how we share. Here's how we use our spiritual gifts. Here's how we tell people the message of the gospel. Second objection gets brought is, is another one that I think we're just reading the scripture to back up a view that we have rather than the other way around. Is in Acts 2, we have this great moment of Pentecost. And it says that, all nations everywhere were in Jerusalem. And, and so the argument is that when Pentecost came and when they spoke in tongues and all these people from all over the world heard that that great commission was then fulfilled. Think more deeply about that for a second. 
if Jesus' point was people are going to come to you and you're going to share the gospel and then that's that and then your job is done, then why did he tell them to go if they're all just going to come to you? There's implication here. This is an active command. I, I said this at the, at the gospel symposium is this word go in the Greek has an implication and it's made more explicit in the book of Acts, which we're going to read in a moment. But this word go is, is, is you could translate it more as as you are going. There's an implication that as you go, make disciples. Now, some, for some, that means going all the way across the world. Uh, Olivia is going to go, and she's going to study Scripture. And if you know Olivia, she's going to tell people about Jesus, whether they want to hear it or not. Praise the Lord for people like that. But there are some that are not called to other parts, and I'm very thankful that many of you are called here to this community. Often, it's reminded of that the nations actually come here all the time. We have opportunity to share the gospel so easily with so many people from all over parts of the world. And so as you are going, whatever that means, when you wake up in the morning, if you pray, God, would you, would you show me someone this morning between here and work? And as long as you live closer or, or further than I do, right, in that little bit. Uh, no, I'm just kidding, because even then that happens. Is as you walk out your door to go, God, as I go to do the things that I know I'm called to do as far as work and provide for my family, how else are you calling me to go? Praying for divine appointments, people that will come into your life in that one moment, that they need to hear the message of the gospel. Well, we're called to do that. I said it's more explicit in Acts uh, chapter 1. And I've used this passage many times in the last few weeks, but just for the sake of it again, is the disciples thought that, okay, death, resurrection has happened. Now it's time that Christ is going to rule on earth. They, they didn't really understand this first and second coming kind of thing. They thought Jesus was just going to rule and, and no more Roman oppression. And so they kind of ask him that, and Jesus responds this way. It should be on the screen here for you. It says this in, in 7 and 8. It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but... You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus is literally saying, that mission, that go mission that I gave you, you're going to be equipped to do that here and then further out and then further out and beyond. Uh, the, the easiest image that we have is when you drop a, a, a drop of water into a little kind of a pond or something, and you see that ripple traveling, and you see just how far-reaching it goes. Is That's what we're called to do. And so some of you, that might be only right here in the immediate context. For others, that might mean in a different context. But for all of us, it means as you are going. The place that you work is not only so that you have money so that you can feed your family, though that's a part of it. It's because God has gifted you and brought you to this place. And even if you, like Jonah, have run away and said, no, I'm not doing anything you want, God, God goes, that's okay, I'll just show you how to do it here now anyway. As God is at work in our hearts to show us that where he has placed you, he has purpose for you. He has meaning for you. The disciples asked this question. Jesus didn't rebuke it, but he corrected it. 
Jesus says in Matthew 24, 14, when he's talking about what the end is actually going to look like, he says this, this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. This is kind of the verse that missionaries gravitate towards going. There's people in the world that haven't heard Christ, and Christ will not return until they've heard him. Now, I don't know all the details of all that, how that works out, and I don't, I don't think any of us should try and figure that out. But I do think that when we know that there's people in the world that have not been reached with the gospel, that should give us some sense of urgency. And again, maybe you're not called to go, but how many people are going that we can support? and that we can help, is on the 17th of July, we have missionaries coming that I've not met, that we haven't seen for quite a few years. What an opportunity to encourage them and to hear, where are you going, and how are you ministering to these people, and how can we get behind you? This is why Olivia asked me to show this last week, and I went, can I show it next week? I think it fits better. I think it can be that visual reminder for us that as we go, can, can we help others who are going even broader than our own calling might be. Moral of the story here for this part is Jesus doesn't just commission the 11. He commissions all of us. He gives us the Holy Spirit that we have spiritual gifts. And we talked about this a couple weeks ago. First, for the edification of the body. We looked at that already. But that's only part of the Spirit's job. What's the other part of the Spirit's job? Well, in Matthew 10, 19 to 20, Jesus explains it this way. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father who is speaking through you. The Holy Spirit literally will give you the words to say in a moment where you don't know what to say. When you don't know how to help. And I, and I hope and trust that you've experienced this. And I know in many times in my life, I've had a conversation with someone and I'm like, ah, there's no way. I've told you this before. There's no way they could argue with me. I presented the gospel so clearly. There's no way they could argue and they, and they, and they do. And then there've been other times where I felt like I fumbled through the whole thing and confused them and they don't know anything. And then they respond and go, I, I need Jesus in my life. And you go, oh, wait. Maybe it's not about me as much as it's about me being obedient to what God's calling me. In fact, I think that's probably one of the biggest challenges in our culture is we're so self-sufficient we don't like to have to rely on somebody else. Here's the truth, friends. I am completely ill-qualified to grow in my own faith apart from the Holy Spirit. I can think I want to grow, but even that desire to want to grow doesn't come from me. It comes from the Spirit of God. The desire to be obedient to him, to teach what Scripture says, all of it comes only because of God. Every moment on Sunday morning, before I get here to church, my prayer is, God, shut my mouth and help me to speak your words, not mine, because I don't have anything unique or original to tell you that has any value. This is what we need to study. Scripture, because it comes from God's mouth. He's given it to us. And so my only desire is that we would take seriously what we read in Scripture and not overanalyze it and try, try to over-contextualize it so it's like, oh, this is only 11, this commission isn't given to me, but it's to see the whole of Scripture. What's God's purpose for us as followers of Jesus?
So, back to the first question. Why should we go? The Sunday school answer is because Jesus told us to. But not only did he tell us to, according to Acts, he equipped us to. He didn't just say, go and figure it out. He said, go and I'm going to be with you. And I'm actually going to maybe drag you sometimes. I'm going to open your mouth in times when you don't know. Here's the thing. Sometimes we have dichotomized this idea of evangelism. And I want to be very careful here because some are gifted with evangelism as a spiritual gift. But that doesn't mean that all of us aren't called to go. And so hear me right here. Some people have a gift and that's wonderful, but that doesn't give anyone else an excuse to not go. This idea of as you are going, it's not only physical, but also as you speak. Paul writes it this way for us in Romans 10. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? And then he quotes Isaiah, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. This is about action and word. We're called to both of these, not one. And I know that might make you really uncomfortable. And frankly, sometimes that makes me uncomfortable. But it only makes me uncomfortable because I'm not good with words. Remember anybody in the Old Testament who said that? God, don't send me. Like, I I don't talk good, right? Like, I I can't do it. And God goes, yeah, that's the point. And he still argues, no, I got you. God does great things through Moses. And and you go to any Jewish-speaking person who said, do you know who Moses is? They all know who Moses is. Because Moses, albeit sometimes not very willingly, went. And God used him. And yes, he provided Aaron in moments to help, but if you read through it, Aaron seems to screw things up more than he makes it better a lot of times. And I'm not trying to be critical of Aaron. I'm trying to say I think there's something that the Bible's showing us there. God wants to use you. Not just in your deeds, though your deeds are wonderful. Our church is involved in all kinds of great things. We make food for people, and this afternoon we're going to deliver that food to people. They have a tangible need, and we as a church want to say, we want you to know that there's a God who loves you, and there's people who love you, and we want to care for those needs. But we also hope that there's moments where we can share then why we do what we do. Because if we do one without the other, Paul says, how are they ever going to hear if nobody tells them? Now again, don't take this to mean somehow that this all hinges upon you. Because the point is, it doesn't. But God has called you. So be faithful. Step out and and do what God is calling you to do. Go and make disciples and baptize them and teach them to obey everything that Christ has commanded. And then leave the rest with the Holy Spirit. Sometimes you'll invite someone to church who doesn't show up that said they're going to. That doesn't mean you failed. You were faithful to do what God called you to do. Let the Holy Spirit be at work in their heart. Don't think that it's up to you to save them. You're called to go make disciples, not called to go make converts. This is the Holy Spirit's work, not ours. So why don't we go? Why do we struggle with that? Well, there's all kinds of reasons. 
There's all kinds of information. I just want to share with you one uh, statistic that came out in this last year out of the United States, and it says this. The vast majority of these Christians that were polled, and it was mostly millennials and Gen Zers, but the vast majority, we're talking like 90% of them, said that the mo- these are Christians, the most important thing in their life is Jesus. So that's good. Unless you're that other 10%, then I'm confused about what they think the gospel is about. But 90% of them saying, Jesus is the most important thing in my life. Good. But then they were asked, the next follow-up question is, so should you go tell people about Jesus? And that same percentage, about 85 to 90% of those, said they felt it was offensive to tell people that Jesus is the only way to salvation, and so they weren't going to tell anyone. There's so much to unpack in that. I don't want to offend anybody. I hope that we can love and and be gracious and kind. But Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 1.18. The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. It's foolishness to some. Because they don't understand the gospel. They've tied so many strings to it or Culture has affected them so much that they somehow see this as outdated or unimportant, forgetting that it's God who's created us. And if we actually followed the way in which he's called us to live, things would look a million times better than they do today. Do you think Paul went, I'm not going to tell anybody if it offends them? I think if you read through scripture, you find the opposite, don't you? Not that he wanted to offend people. And so, friends, hear me very clearly. I'm not calling you to go and offend people for the gospel. If that's what you take out of here, then you are misunderstanding. Don't be afraid to offend people if you're speaking the truth in love. If I see someone on the highway and a car is coming at them, I can yell all I want, but if they don't hear me, what's the loving thing to do? I'm going to tackle them and hurt them and get them off the highway. Why? Because I believe they're created in the image of God and God loves them desperately. Maybe it's an accident. Maybe someone is willingly wanting to end their life. And and then we have all these complicated ethical questions. But my view is this, is if they knew who Jesus was and if they understood how desperately the God of the universe loves them and wants to be in relationship with them, that would change everything for them. doesn't mean life would be simple doesn't mean that there wouldn't be some real struggles and challenges in their life, but the loving thing for us to do is if we know the truth, to share that truth in grace and in love. If you're a parent, you know this all too well. The classic analogy, the child reaches up to touch the stove. The loving thing to do is to what? Go ahead. No, right, is to tell them this is not, like, I know you want to touch it, but here's what's going to happen. There's consequences of this. It hurts. We, we don't want you to go through that pain and that hurt. And so we're telling you, please don't do that. Follow what those rules are of our house because they have purpose. God said the same thing to us in his word. Please follow the rules that I've given you. Because they will help you understand how to live and how to love each other effectively. How to care for one another. In our own human hearts and in our own arrogance, we've decided, I don't think God should get to tell me what's right and wrong. I should get to define that. 
And in fact, we have this phrase that if you turn on any sitcom or probably any news channel or anything, is you'll hear this phrase popping up over and over going, someone saying, I'm going to speak my truth as if somehow they have the only truth or they have one objective view of truth. Friends, it'll offend people to tell them that they have sin in their life that needs to be dealt with because that's offensive doesn't make it not true. And so how we do that matters. If we walk up to someone and say, did you know you're going to hell unless? That's maybe not the kindest way to do that. Maybe it's not a very effective way to do that. But if we love and show them by our actions and our words that we care for them and that we will serve them, then we wait for that moment and we ask God, would you reveal to us that moment where I can speak and would your spirit speak, not me? Because I don't know how to lead someone to the gospel. I've taken all kinds of classes, and I know all kinds of little patterns and formulas, but the truth is sometimes they work, sometimes they don't, because it's the Holy Spirit working, not the pattern, not the exact way of sharing the gospel. We are called to go. We are equipped to go. Let me say it as plainly as I can. God doesn't need me for anything, but he has called me to go. And he has asked that I would be faithful to go and to make disciples. And I can be faithful and do what he's called, or I can be disobedient. That doesn't mean that God's hands are tied. Oh, Greg didn't talk to someone about the gospel with that. I guess that person's hopeless. Don't think that way. But also don't think that means I'm off the hook because God's primary way, and this is like, I don't even know a verse to tell you here because it's like the New Testament just screams this, is God's primary way to, to have people re- hear and respond to the gospel is how? Through us. He's called you to be a part of that journey. He's called all of us go and make disciples of all nations. Here's the thing that I think will be very helpful as we consider this. We talked about this at our young adult Bible study. If we start to pray and ask that God would show us through his eyes how he views our friends and our family and our neighbors and our coworkers, I think the way in which we treat them and talk to them would change drastically. Because every person that you have ever met is created in the image of God and God loves them desperately and wants them to be in relationship with him and so he has brought you to this place that you might tell them. It's hard. It's uncomfortable. We don't want to offend people. But we have the true answer of finding joy and purpose and meaning and satisfaction that nobody else does, not because we're smart, but because somehow through somebody before me, somebody shared the gospel with my parents. And then they shared it with me. I'm not suggesting that this means that you get out of here this morning and you walk and every single person you come up with, you have a five-step plan of how to reach them for Jesus. But I also am suggesting that. That was real clear, I'm sure. 
I, I don't want you to sit down and go, here's the methodology of how I'm going to do what, I, what I'm supposed to do. I want you to read scripture and learn who Jesus is and go, I want to love Jesus and I want to serve him. I want other people to know what it means to find Christ. Shayla got to do some dragon boating a few years back. Does anybody know what a dragon boat is? Very cool thing to watch. And it was with a group of moms, and, and I remember her having conversations. She, she told me about where many of them struggle with, I don't know what my purpose is in life. And Shayla said, I can rest confidently that Jesus told me to love God and to love people. That's my mission. And so the ways in which we accomplish those, where you work, the people you interact with, all of that, that may have some different and unique ways to do it, but you have one mission and one purpose. So you don't have to wonder, what am I called to do? We just have to be faithful to do what we already have been called to do. So let's love people with our deeds. Let's love people with our words. Again, I want to answer another thing. I think one of the reasons we've not done this very well sometimes is because we live in an incredibly affluent culture. And I think we've lost focus of that vision. I think we've been distracted with money, possessions, careers, popularity, fill in the blank with whatever you'd like. God has called you to care for your family, 100%. Don't hear me suggesting otherwise. But that's not your primary intent. Primary intent is to honor God with how you live. As you do that, you will care for your family. As you have Jesus more actively in your life, as you have scripture to rest on, as you try and figure out what should I do in this situation or, or how should I love these people or, or how should I parent my, put in the age that you need there because none of us know how to do any of it. How do I do this, God? Well, if we have scripture and the Holy Spirit, then we will be faithful to go, you know what, I, I don't know the specifics, but I know that I can trust God in this. This is why I wanted to deal with this series because I think over these last two and a half years, our focus has been shifted. Not only in church, I think in all kinds of places. We, uh, and, and COVID taught us this is all of a sudden, this little virus became the most important thing or maybe the least important thing, but the most talked about thing to many people. When was Christ still on the throne? Was Christ still calling us to go and make disciples? We're going to come across all kinds of things where Satan wants to distract us, wants us to take our focus off of the cross and off of going and making disciples. And we have to be mature enough to see it, to understand it, and to go, I will not be distracted. I'm going to run after Jesus, no matter the obstacle that comes in front of me. I know I'm probably beating a dead horse at this point, but I just cannot express just how much this, these simple verses, go and make disciples, are a calling, not to 11, but to every person who's ever followed Jesus. So as you leave here today, again, don't write this little list of here's how I'm going to do it. Choose to love Jesus more. And allow him to show you where and how to go. Don't do it in your own strength but pray that God would reveal to you who you need to love.
and how you can do that. And friends, don't compromise on what's true. Hold truth high, but love them even if they disagree with you. Let's pray. God, these verses are written to us that we would know what your purpose of salvation is, that we would go and that we would make disciples, acknowledging all the while that your spirit is the one who accomplishes that work. That God, each one of us here in this room have the same calling. Would we unite together in that? Would we evaluate our own hearts and would we see areas that is taking up too much of our heart? Things that are distracting us from what this mission, this mission of our church and individually the mission that you have given us to. Clear our minds and help us to see that each person we meet, you have called us to love. You've called us to love them, not just with our deeds, but with our words as well. So God, I pray for courage for us that we would speak the truth in love. I pray that we would have eyes to see these moments. I pray that we would even have intentionality to go looking for them. And so God, as we are going, wherever that is today, would you show us that our primary means of any purpose in this life is to give you glory and honor and to show Christ as worthy. God, give us this desire. Thank you that you have equipped us to do this and that you will speak for us. Help us to be faithful. We love you. Be with us today. Just encourage you to spend some time uh, over here. The back is the kitchen. There's snacks that have been prepared, and we'd love to get to know you and encourage you. And if you have any questions about the church or the community or you have any needs, please let us know, and we would love to try and help in any way we can. Have a wonderful week. Yeah.